You gotta love the last line of that song, um, Jesus Lord at thy birth. That's good, isn't it? That's one thing he didn't become. <laughs> Another thing he didn't become. <laughs> he was always Lord. All right. Um Obviously, <clears throat> we're not going to cover everything uh, that David just read in detail. Um, and this is, again, like the sermons that we did on chapter 13, every time we read the whole chapter, even though we were uh, dealing with it in sections. And this, this again, is, is um, uh, that, that practice would be very useful here. If, you know, just take the time maybe in your own study. Read the whole chapter 14. It will help you get... Um, get the thought here, the flow of thought here, and especially chapters um, 12 through 14 uh, where, where Paul is dealing with uh, manifestations of the Spirit. Um, it's worth, worth doing. Um, and so what I had to do this morning for what I want to um, deal with today, what I think we're going to cover this morning, is, is try to figure out a, a reasonable stopping point <laughs> without reading the whole chapter. I just wanted to get a, a good chunk of it so that we would... Uh, we would kind of be able to do that, you know, kind of get the thought. So, uh, but let me say this, too, in, in, in light of the whole thing. If you look, verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Um, and then look at the very end, verse 39. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So, so you see, you can see from those two verses that sandwiched in between is Paul's thoughts on these things. You know, those are function like, like bookends. They're holding this whole um, chapter together, even though originally it didn't have the chapter divisions. Nevertheless, it, it, it's a, it, 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 you know, it's one thought here. It goes well together. Now, let me just recap briefly a couple things. Because I do think, and I've pointed this out several times, that Kind of the main issue all the way through here is, and I mean all the way through the epistle, all the way through 1 Corinthians. Primary issue is, is Paul um, dealing with the Corinthians' wrong understanding of what it means to be spiritual, or to use the, the, the term that Paul uses in this epistle, um, pneumatikos, it's the spiritual ones. And they thought of themselves as spiritual. And rightly so, but for the wrong reasons. And they were focused on the wrong things in, in, in defining spirituality, in pursuing spirituality, or describing it. And so Paul, all the way through the letter, he's dealing with that, you know, blatant, the manifestations of their wrong thinking, you know, like the blatant sin, like, like uh, the incestuous relationship, or the involvement in idolatrous practices, or the divisions among the church. All of these things worked out of this wrongheadedness concerning what it means to be spiritual. And sometimes when we talk about this a great deal, so I'm just touching on it briefly here, but sometimes it manifested in, in even contradictory ways. You know, some pe- people thought of it this way and others thought of it this way and it led them to two different extremes. Um, but both were wrong. And so Paul is is setting them on the right path. Here's what it means to be spiritual. Alright, now, in this section, and I mentioned a moment ago, you can, you can kind of take chapters 12 through 14 as one section dealing specifically with 
of what we commonly call spiritual gifts or, uh, to use Paul's language here, manifestations of the Spirit. What are manifestations of the Spirit? It is the Spirit of God manifesting Himself and His own power in and through believers. Alright, so Paul, in these chapters, 12 through 14, is specifically dealing with, again, wrong-headedness concerning the manifestations of the Spirit. And on the surface, I know, it looks like when you get to chapter 13, and you read chapter 13, it looks like there's been a, a, a shift in subject matter. Paul's talking about spiritual gifts in chapter 12, then he talks about love in 13, then he talks about spiritual gifts again and their application in chapter 14. He's, he's talking about the same thing all the way through. And in, in 13, um, what he's doing is, is showing the true significance behind the manifestations of the Spirit and, and an essential quality. They must operate in love. Or as we said it before, this is just a, a, a more specific way of saying it, the, the people themselves must be operating in love when they exercise the manifestations of the Spirit. So, you know, we said earlier, it's not that the gifts themselves were lacking love, it's that the people were lacking love. The Corinthians that are exercising these gifts were lacking love. So, so Paul deals with that. That's an essential element. Everything is, and boy, this is so important for us to get, not only in terms of manifestations of the Spirit, but in, in every walk, every aspect, every area of the, of the Christian life, love is essential or else, all else is void. I mean, you know, the, the very act that we're engaging in just loses its significance um, if love is not operating in our hearts. I mean, we, we are to be um, motivated by, um, we are to be um, in pursuit of Operating in love. All right. So for today, in chapter 14, um, he's again back on the subject of, of uh, again, not that he's changed subjects, but he's, he's, he's just kind of focused his attention once again on, on the gifts themselves and how they operate in the local church, how they rightly operate in the local church. That's another key thing I want us remembering all the way through here. This is, this is applicable in the local church. So Paul's talking to the Corinthians about when they come together. And so for today's text, the idea is this. You, you pursue love through edification. Pursue love through <clears throat> edification. So we want to pursue love, like he says in verse 1, 14.1, Pursue love, agape is the word there. Strong term for love. It's not a flippant thing. Um, it requires action and it requires affection. Pursue love through edification, that is the edification of others in the local body in the operation of the manifestations of the Spirit. So again, specifically here, he's talking about these things in relation to the manifestations of the Spirit. But they, but they must be driven by love, or as we said it before, <coughs> energized. Manifestations of the Spirit must be energized by love <coughs> with the desire 
to edify. That's how that's how love is going to play out. That's how it's going to it's going to come to completion. That's the end, the goal that that we're looking for: edification of others. <clears throat> now that doesn't deny our own, but it complements it. In fact, it, not just compliments it, it, it fulfills it. Let me say it this way. <coughs> I had a, uh, heard a brother say this just again the other day, and this, these quotes get thrown around a lot. <clears throat> um, one is John F. Kennedy. Um, ask not what you can do for your country, but ask what your country can... I mean, not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. i get it right in a minute. I was, you know... Uh, not around then, so I'm, get, I, I'm, I'm getting it secondhand. Okay, <laughs> I was actually born the day Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, he he was assassinated about 2 p.m. and I was born about 8 p.m. So, so our paths didn't cross in this world. But uh, but um, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And I've heard that many times. You know, somebody will take that and, and apply it to the Christian life. Well. And I don't want to question the people's motivation, but I just want to say this. Um, it, it's probably better the other way around when we're talking about the kingdom of God. I mean, that's a great quote for citizens of the United States. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. But for helpless sinners, we better be asking what God can do for us and not what we can do for Him, what the kingdom can do for us, and not what we can do for the kingdom, except in this sense. When it comes to other people, serving other people, now we are to mirror God's love and, and His action toward us. So, and we talked about this Wednesday night when we were talking about deacons. Um, Jesus said, and by the way, I'm putting in a plug for that real quick. We're doing a study on Wednesday nights. Uh, on, I know this sounds really, really exciting, but we're doing a study on church officers, elders and deacons. But uh, I tell you what, if you like the truth, it is exciting because it's, it is truth that God, God gives us in his, in his Word for the benefit of the church. So we're talking about deacons, and Jesus gave us the ultimate example, and He said, the Son of Man did not come to be deep to, He uses the same word, that is to be served. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but the Son of Man came to deep. He came to serve. Now that's in, in terms of our relationship with him, that's the only thing that's the only way that it can be, because we have nothing to offer him. We cannot serve him. Because he's not lacking, and we have nothing to offer. But when it comes to other people, we can mirror that. In fact, that should be our desire to to serve others in the way that Jesus serves us. So, when it comes to other people, we can say, you know, I don't want to... Um, in fact, let me, let me rephrase it a little bit. I don't want to merely ask what they can do for me. I want to be asking what I can do for them. In other words, how can I edify them? How can I be used of God for your building up? And that's what Paul has in view here. Pursue love through... Edification. The, the purpose, he's saying the goal, the end, in terms of manifestations of the Spirit, in the setting of the local church, that's important, the end of the manifestations of the Spirit in 
the setting of the local gathering is the edification of the whole body. Where the Corinthians are thinking in a very selfish manner, you know, if, if I possess this gift or that gift, then I can be highly thought of, highly esteemed. I'll be a spiritual one while everybody else is, you know, just kind of just kind of there in awe of me and what God is doing in me. And Paul is saying, no, that those manifestations of the Spirit are for the benefit of they're not just they're not just for your benefit, they're for the benefit of the whole body. And that's why God manifests Himself in the lives of believers. Yes, for our own edification, but also for the edification of the whole body. And when the church comes together, like we are right this moment, our concern should be the, the edification of the whole body. Now, I do want to get something when I come to church. And that's why I was turning that phrase, John Kennedy quote, kind of on its head earlier. I, I think you, and again, I've heard people say, you know, don't go to church looking to get, go to give. Well, I, I don't think it's an either or there. I think, I think you need to come expecting to get and expecting to give. You just have to understand, you know, the, the different channels. I'm going to get from one source and give, you know, in another direction, right? I'm, I got to come to God expecting to get. <laughs> I have to. I, I, I don't have anything that He needs. So the only right perspective in terms of my relationship with Him is come to Him expecting to get. So come to church. That is, come to the assemblies. The term Paul uses here, ecclesia the called out ones, the called out body, the, the, the people of God, come to the assembly like we are right now, yes, expecting to get. You ought to, you ought to come expecting God to speak because I, I, I think He works differently in different settings. And so, you know, some people say, well, you know, I, I don't need to go to church. I, I can uh, hear from God under a tree uh, in the forest or whatever. Yeah, you can. But, but again, those two things, it's not an either or. It's, it's a both and. You, you need your own private personal study and communion with God, and you also need the fellowship of the body. And God's going to do different things in the different settings. But, we, again, we should come expecting to get, but since we are gathering together as a body, we also come expecting to give. In other words, our primary concern in the fellowship in the gathering of the body, the local body, is the edification of the whole body. So we don't come thinking merely what I can get. We come thinking how the whole body can benefit. How can I benefit and also sister so-and-so benefit and brother so-and-so benefit? In fact, the whole body, how can we all benefit from our time together? And so Paul says, again in verse 1, and this is, that's the end he has in view. And here's the means. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire. That's strong language. We, we, uh, because of all the abuse and misuse and misunderstanding, uh, oftentimes we, we tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And so we downplay... Um, things like spiritual gifts in our day, manifestations of the Spirit, again, because of the blatant abuse 
But the Holy Spirit, through the pen of Paul, demands that we earnestly desire spirituals or manifestations of the Spirit. Spiritual gifts is the way it's usually translated. And especially that you may prophesy. Now there's a reason he's saying that. And <clears throat> we've talked a little bit about this already. Um, um, you, you know, they're thinking, the Corinthians are thinking in terms of some gifts are, are better than others. And, and really, again, it's, it's because their whole focus is on how can I be more highly thought of or, or this person I follow, you know, has this particular gift that is awesome and so I'm going to follow them. So I'm going I'm to follow Apollos and listen to Apollos and, you know, forget about Paul because Apollos is a much better speaker than Paul is. Or, you know, I like Peter, you know, he's, he's quite a character and I just think, man, the, the way the Spirit of God manifests Himself through Peter is just, is just so much better than Paul and so I'm, so I'm of Peter. And that's, that was the way their mind was working. And Paul is saying here, no, again, in terms of the local body, when you all come together as a congregation, what makes one gift superior to another or better is the fact that it edifies the whole body. So that's how Paul defines better. He doesn't define it in terms of you know, just the gift itself. He said everybody, chapter 12, he says everybody in the church... Um, is gifted, and the Spirit manifests Himself as He wills. So the Spirit distributes abilities and giftings as He wills, supernatural as well as natural. He does that according to His own sovereign pleasure. And not one is more important than the other. You know, if you're a hand in the body, um, you know, you're needed, you've got your place, just like the ear does or the nose. And so, you know, he's in chapter 12, he's really confronting their, their wrong thinking there and confronting their tendency to break off in schisms, think of themselves more highly than others. But now here he is saying some gifts are better than the others, but again, notice how he defines it. It's because the whole body edif- is edified. And why is that better? Because again, that's the goal. That's what we're to be in pursuit of. Again, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. And we talked about that. Uh, I'm not going to go back over that in great detail, but I'll just mention it here because we talked about it last Sunday night in pretty good detail. Um, but the idea of prophesying is, again, that's something that the whole body can benefit from. Um, probably, uh, the definition I gave you the other night, and I told you there was some speculation involved with it, but, but probably it's just the idea of, of, uh, of, of something being brought to the mind spontaneously by the Spirit of God, and that is shared, and we'll, we'll see that um, uh, as we continue this chapter. But that is shared before the congregation, and everybody benefits from that. On the other hand, tongues, and, and the word literally just means languages, but, but here, it seems obvious to me, Paul is again talking about a, new, a supernatural endowment. And he says, tongues, on the other hand, nobody understands. For, for one, speaks, one who speaks in a tongue, and the old King James uses um, supply, it, it adds the word unknown. 
And I think that's helpful because that's exactly what Paul is saying here. I mean, in fact, you leave the word if you if you're looking at an old King James, just ignore that word unknown for a minute, and you'll see that that's still what it's talking about. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him. So that's that's Paul's point. When somebody speaks in a tongue in the assembly, it doesn't benefit the whole assembly because nobody understands it. In the spirit. Yes, he speaks mysteries. And Paul doesn't condemn that. He doesn't say that it's wrong. He doesn't say that it's not useful. In fact, he goes on to say that it is useful. He says, you speak in an unknown tongue or tongue, you give thanks well. But the problem is, it does not have the effect of edifying the whole body. And that's the issue. And Paul wants the Corinthians and us to pursue... Love through edification, edifying the whole body. So, um, again, on the other hand, now, now this is not speculation, verse 3. Uh, I, I, when I mentioned prophecy earlier, I said uh, it could be defined as a, uh, uh, something spontaneously brought to mind by the Lord, um, which would have to be judged by the congregation um, or other prophets. Um, and I, and I, I told you, I think that's a good definition. But it's uh, a little bit of speculation involved since we don't know exactly what the Corinthians were doing. But, but this much is not speculation. Look at verse 3. Here's the effect of prophecy. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and comfort or consolation. Upbuilding, that is edification, translated in the ESV, upbuilding. One who prophesies speaks to people for their edification, encouragement, and comfort. Now, that's not speculation. Verse 2 is not speculation. We know that someone who speaks in a tongue speaks to God, not to men, because no man understands them, so nobody's edified. And verse 3 is not speculation. Somebody who prophesies, whatever that means precisely, when it's done, it is for the edification, encouragement, and consolation or comfort of the whole body. And again, that is Paul's point. He's saying, when you come together as a church, as a body, pursue love through edification. That is, yes, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts for the purpose of edification when you come together as a body. That should be the goal. That should be the end that we have in view. Now I'm going to read through verses uh, 4 and 5 kind of quickly here. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. It is useful. Paul doesn't condemn them for it. He doesn't say that it's wrong. He doesn't say that self-edification is wrong. It's wrong in this context because when we're all come together, our goal must be um, the edification of the body as a whole. Now, now let me say this. To to focus merely on self-edification is wrong. Self-edification is not wrong, even in the context of the local body, but to, to only have that in view is wrong. Again, come to church expecting to get. And I think when you hear God's Word read and proclaimed, and when you participate in Christian fellowship, you ought to expect to be blessed by that. But also, come intentionally asking God to use you and me as a channel of blessing. So we, we have our own edification in view and 
everybody else's. The whole body. So now I want you to... Um, verse 5. Now I want you... Verse 4, I'm sorry. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. The word church, ecclesia, congregation. When, when William Tyndale translated the uh, Greek New Testament into English, he, he consistently used, translated this word congregation. So that, that's all it, um, it means there. Assembly, congregation. One who prophesies builds up the congregation. That's the goal we're after. Now verse 5, Paul says, I want you to all, all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Now that, on the surface, could be misleading. Someone who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Oh, so, so we should, you know, esteem them more highly or esteem ourselves more highly if, if we have the gift of prophecy. Is that what Paul's saying? No. Again, he's just talking about the effect of the gift. And, and, and it's in the context of the local, the gathering of the local congregation. So, so the one who prophesies is greater in, in, because, in this sense, because the whole body is edified, not just the person speaking, but the whole body. That includes them, but it also includes everybody else. So it's greater in that sense. They're greater in that sense. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. So Paul says now, even if there's an interpreter of tongues, then uh, it comes up to the level of prophecy. Because the key issue is, does everybody understand? Does everybody understand? Look, we've got a growing population of, of I'm not even going to single out any particular group because you can name several. We've got a growing, growing populations of foreigners in our, um, in our neck of the woods today in Louisiana. And, uh, you know, of course, that's true all over the country. So it's not uncommon for us, right, to go to a, anymore, to go to a restaurant or a gas station or whatever and the person in front of us, behind, you know, maybe there's a couple standing in front of you in line and they're, they're going back and forth in some language and you don't have a clue what they're saying. That's the idea here. Huh? You can't eavesdrop. You can't eavesdrop. Yeah. A buddy of mine did that. He, he was, uh, um, well, I'll just say it this way. He did not look, you know, he, in fact, he was not from South America, um, but he was um, from uh, a Spanish descent from a country that's native language is Spanish, but just looking at him, you would never know that. And so, uh, yeah, he told me that when he was coming through the Dallas airport one time, he said, uh, people, he said they're, they're just talking all around me. They, don't, they, they didn't think I understood what they were saying. <laughs> and he was getting every bit of it because he spoke, that was his native language. But they assumed it was not, you know, because of his, his appearance. Uh, and, but on the other hand, if you don't understand a word, what Paul says, they're like a foreigner to you. They are a foreigner to you. And so that's what he's saying. What you do in... The local gathering, the assembly like we have right now, is you speak in a way that everybody understands so that everybody benefits and they're not seen as foreigners. You're not a foreigner to them. They're not a foreigner to you. Uh, Leslie and I, told, I probably told this before, but one, the first time, I think, that I went to New Jersey with Leslie, and uh, I've, I've, made, I'm, folks, I've made a lot of progress with her. And <laughs> You'd be amazed. If, you could, if I could turn the clock back to 1986 and you could hear her speak, um, you'd see the progress. But, 
Well, I went, went with her one time to New Jersey, and we went into a, a, a sub shop, um, sandwich shop, and I ordered. It was a small shop, you know, kind of like a Subway or something. And I ordered. And I'm standing there, and, and Leslie looked at me, and she said, Everybody's staring at you. <laughs> and I looked around, it was true. I mean, the place just got quiet, and everybody's looking. And uh, they knew I wasn't, you know, from Cherry Hill or, or any of those places. So, Paul says in the assembly, things need to be understandable. Why? Because the goal is to build everybody up. It's, it's not... When I come to church, look, when we gather as an assembly, I do want to be built up. But that's not the sole goal. Okay? S-O-L-E. It may be the S-O-U-L goal, but that's not the sole goal. That's not the only goal. I want to seek the edification of everybody. And that's what Paul is saying. So, the one who prophesies in is greater for that reason. Because the church is built up. That's the end of verse 5. So that the congregation may be built up. And then he just gives some examples. That's getting into what we read this morning. Verse 6. Brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? See, that's, that's, the, that's the issue. If I come to you speaking a language that you don't understand, how in the world are you going to benefit from that? I mean, you may say, well, wow. That's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, sometimes people do that. They hear somebody speaking in Spanish, you know, and they oh, how romantic. Well, how do you know it's romantic? You don't know what he said. But, I mean, they think it, it sounds beautiful. But if, if they really did say something meaningful and you didn't get it, then how do you benefit from that? That's what Paul says. If I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge, or prophecy, or doctrine, teaching. In other words, Paul is saying, I, I have to bring something to you that you can understand that is not uh, in a foreign language, but that is uh, in, in your common language, something that you can grasp and assimilate. So, and, and then he gives an example. Even... Lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes. If they don't give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? These certain in a song or even in a bugle call for battle, certain notes are hit, played that is, are recognizable. Now, if you had a child, or maybe even you yourself, I mean, I've been there myself, and you were learning to play the violin, fiddle we call it, then you know exactly what Paul's talking about here. You're thinking, that is noise, and it, I'm, I'm not benefiting from that. And that's what your parents were thinking if you were practicing violin. But if you're playing distinct sounds, then somebody hears the, the melody. And they go, oh, oh, you're, you're playing just as I am, or whatever it is. There are distinct notes that produce the melody. Or, for the bugle call, there are distinct notes that tell everybody what's happening. Is, is this just reveling and it's time to get up? Or is that a battle cry? You know, we're, we're fixing to go out to battle. They know by the notes that are played. 
So verse 9, So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, that is, it cannot be understood, and that is the case with the gift of languages that he's talking about here. It cannot be understood. He that speaketh in a tongue speaketh to God, not unto men. No man understands Him. Howbeit in the Spirit He speaketh mysteries. Alright? So that is the case. It's, it's unintelligible. So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? So Paul's not denying that it's a legitimate gift. In fact, he's already said, you know, you are edified. And he'll go on to say, you give thanks well. The problem is, nobody else benefits. How will they benefit when they do not understand? So, that's what he says here. How will anyone know what is said? Verse 9. For you will be speaking into the air. In other words, it's just like a waste of breath apart from interpretation, Paul is saying, tongues are not for the assembly. They're just not. Because nobody can benefit from them. Verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. So again, he's not denying the validity of the gift just like, he, just like when, when, you, when I hear a Spanish speaker or uh, you know, somebody speaking Hindi or something like that, um, I don't say, well, man, they're just talking gibberish. No, the language is not without meaning. The problem is, I don't have a clue what those syllables mean. So I don't benefit. So he says, there are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves. In other words, Paul is saying, that's how it is with you, Corinthians. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, is that a bad thing? Again, Paul's not, Paul's not saying that's a bad thing. In fact, verse 1 is an imperative. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Since you are eager, Paul says, for manifestations of the Spirit, get it right is what he's going to go on to say. Understand the purpose. How does he say it? End of verse 12. Strive to excel in building up the church. Now, they're striving, all right, but they're striving to excel in the gift. Now, so everybody can see I got the gift. I'm gifted. I'm a charismatic. That's what the word means. The truth is, listen, the truth is every Christian, if you're a genuine Christian, you're charismatic. You're gifted by God. You're charismatic in the truest sense. God has gifted you. Verse, or chapter 12, rather, I think bears that out. I, I don't think it's the case that some Christians are gifted. I think it's that every Christian is gifted. Maybe not with supernatural manifestations, but nevertheless, works of the Spirit. That is, works that are Holy Spirit-produced that the Holy Spirit is producing and using 
in your life. Now, I want to make this clear again, and we're done here, but I want to make this clear again. Don't, don't just think of this in relation to the supernatural gifts. Well, you know, here Paul's talking specifically about tongues and prophecy and words of knowledge and words of wisdom and gifts of healing. That's all true. He is talking about those things. But I don't think these principles are limited to those things. In other words, he's saying in everything that we do, especially in the context of coming together as a body like we are here this morning, we should be in pursuit of love, genuine love, agape love, the kind of love that he describes in chapter 13. And by being in pursuit of it, I mean that uh, just like being in pursuit of the spiritual gifts, that is, we want it operating in and through us. We want the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. Again, not merely for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all in our presence. So, we want to be a conduit of God's love, a conduit of His grace. God working in us and through us, blessing His church through us. So, pursuing love through edification. So, I think, that's, I think that principle is, applies to every area of the Christian life. And especially, obviously, Paul's talking in the context of the local worship service, the public worship service. So we come together with that goal in view. Edification of the whole body. The building up of the whole body. Picture in your mind a structure being raised up like a great building. And it takes, it takes a concerted effort of all kinds of different charismatic people, gifted people. It takes architects. It takes all manner of carpenters from, from the framers to the, to the finish, ones who do the finished work. It takes people who can, um, you know, look at an empty room and, and know what will make it look right. You know, we need this kind of floor, we need that kind of window, we need those kinds of colors in the wall and in the curtains. Interior designers. And all of those gifts work together for the, for the erection or the, the raising up of an edifice, of a structure. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying that's the local body. God's gifted each one of you. He's gifted you in different ways to work together for the benefit of the whole. So strive to excel in edification. Strive to excel in building up the congregation. Would you stand, please? And I forgot to mention earlier, but guys who are in with us in our 5 o'clock class or really anybody that wants to come, uh, we are meeting at 5 o'clock back here. Let's pray. Father, again, we come to You, and Lord, we're so thankful for your, Your giftings. Thank You for the gift, the gift of Your Son. 
given for us so that we might not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, I I pray that if there's anyone in this room this morning that has not realized the significance of that gift and their need for that gift, in other words, their need for salvation through the sacrificial work of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that You open their hearts and minds to the reality of the redemption You've provided in Christ. May they see their sin for what it is and may they see Jesus as their only hope for reconciliation to You. And Lord, grant in all of us this desire this zeal that Paul speaks of for the edification of the whole body. It is human nature that we desire and pursue our own benefit. But it is to be Christ-like to desire and pursue the benefit of others. We thank You for working that in us. And thank You for Your promises of continued growth. Lord, manifest Yourself, Your power in us in ways that would bring the most benefit to the whole of the body and in ways that would bring the most glory and honor and praise to You. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.